Welcome everyone to another episode of the Stranger Things podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Norton, and in this series of episodes, we will be unfolding a variety of key elements within the Netflix series, Stranger Things, based on the perspective of Eleven. In today's episode, we will be focusing on the characteristics of Eleven, going in-depth about her traits, personality, and backstory to who she has presently become. To begin, Eleven in season one is a 12-year-old girl and the subject of a government experiment at the hands of sinister scientist Dr. Brenner. Dr. Brenner kept her in captivity her whole life to conduct experiments just outside of Hawkins due to her supernatural abilities. We learn throughout the season that Eleven has telekinesis and telepathic abilities as seen when she flips a whole van as well as moving slash crushing objects with her mind. She also is able to manipulate objects, people and creatures with her mind. However, when she does perform these acts, an automatic nosebleed happens what occurs as well as a lack of energy or intense exhaustion. As she's lived growing up in a lab lab environment, she was forced to shave her head as well as get an O11 tattoo on her forearm representing her facility number and lab name. It's evident that she struggles with speech due to the way she was grown up. Uh, She couldn't form proper sentences or speak more than 10 words in English. This affected her speech production and caused major confusion amongst the other protagonists within the film, Mike, Lucas and Dustin. Eleven was constantly afraid, anxious and on edge before and after she escaped the research lab. I mean, all of Hawkins' most scientifically advanced individuals were after her. Eleven had no conceptualization on where she came from, how she ended up in a lab, who her mother was, why she had these abilities or any basic human knowledge. After her escape, she formed an alliance with a fellow Hawkins citizen, Mike Wheeler, a 12-year-old average boy attempting to find his best friend Will, who had previously disappeared unexpectedly. Throughout the season, Eleven forms a romantic connection between Mike and their relationship expands as the seasons go on. However, diving more deeply into Eleven's character, we are unable to see that she has been completely deprived of socialisation. Eleven was timid, socially withdrawn and extremely cautious of other people. However, she became more fiercely protective and showed unyieldingly loyalty um, towards those who cared for her, especially to Mike, whom she showed she fell in love with, to the point of sacrificing herself to destroy the Demogorgon when it threatened to harm her friends. She was reluctant to harm any innocent life and had no malicious intent. When she felt as though her abilities were strongly necessary in some circumstances, it was always followed by strong feelings of guilt and self-loathing. She had been deemed humanized ever since she was a child. She never experienced happiness, love or freedom, unlike the majority of the viewers listening to this podcast. They took away her childhood and treated her as if she was just a lab experiment. As a result of this lifestyle, this has led to her to develop serious claustrophobia. She also showed some signs of post-traumatic stress disorder within the series. With all this knowledge and information, it is evident that Eleven's childhood was torn apart in one of the most torturous ways possible. It's time we wrap up this episode, but stay tuned for tomorrow night's following, the episode where we unfold the narrative structure of Stranger Things Season 1. Thank you.
welcome back to the second episode of the Stranger Things podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Norton, and during this episode, we'll be discovering the narrative structure of Stranger Things in season one. In the first episode of Stranger Things, we have an introduction to the main and minor characters, which have an important part to the storyline. During the start of the episode, we witness the four boys, Mike, Will, Dustin and Lucas, who were all excitedly playing D&D together down in Mike's basement. It's evident that these boys are a close group of friends who all share a major role within the film. The rising action occurs after Mike's mother, Karen, signs for the other boys to head home. We see that the author has specifically turned the attention to Will as he's peacefully riding home on his bike in the middle of the night. In a matter of seconds, Will becomes suddenly distracted by something lurking in the trees that are surrounding him. It wasn't long before an anonymous figure leapt out in front of him and caused Will to swerve off his bike straight into the sides of the road where he stumbled and fell within the forest. With such a fool, you'd think that he'd be in horrific pain. Nope. However, he got back up and ran for his dear life. He had run all the way to his house, screaming and shouting for help until he realised that help was not in his reach. It wasn't until Will had the nerves to take matters into his own hands and try to kill what was, ev- what was ever coming for him. He had run into, into the outside shed and loaded a shotgun for his own safety. However, it was at that moment that he realised he was dealing with something way out of his league. The scene concludes with Will getting taken or eaten by an unidentifiable creature outside his shed, which briefly shapes the narrative for the rest of the series. We were also introduced to the fact that this is a sci-fi slash thriller type of series due to how the setting is displayed and the monstrous figures involved. All of this information has been evaluated in only the first episode where it briefly goes over the orientation of the film. However, we also get a glimpse of the rising action within the film due to the disappearance of Will Byers. The following morning, Will's disappearance caused a lot of suspicion around the town, due to Hawkins being one of the most quiet and least dangerous cities in America. Many individuals went looking for Will but were unsuccessful. They deemed it as a cold case for the meantime. However, a young girl wearing a hospital gown with a shaved head wanders into Benny's diner. Benny feeds her and tries to make a conversation, but she's elusive. She's a tattoo of the number 11 on her arm and says that's her name. There's more to her than Benny knows though. She seems to stop a fan from spinning with just her mind. Benny calls social services to come pick her up, but the people who show up clearly aren't there to help. There's some sort of government organization and Eleven, as she's called, seems as though she's a part of their experiments. Eleven realizes what is happening and escapes. In the final moments, the action really picks up. While Eleven is helplessly wandering through the wet, dark woods, she bumps into Mike, who is attempting to find his best friend, Will. Mike and Eleven eventually form an alliance when Mike offers her a bed in his basement. Eventually, the episode builds to a climax when we learn a little bit more about Will and we see another monstrous attack slash abduction. As the strange and odd as strange and odd as Eleven is, with her supernatural abilities, appearance, and lack of speech production, the boys assume that perhaps Eleven can help them find Will, after she did point out a photo of him and claim that she knows where he is. Strange, right? 
Eleven uses the boys' D&D set to show them that Will is hiding from some sort of monster. Then, to confirm that something really strange is going on, we see Joyce, Will's mum, get crazy calls and the wall saying that the walls inside her house are moving and taking on some weird shapes. All of this happens while another character, Barbara, gets taken by the monster alien, dead or alive. A lot of citizens around Hawkins are involved, trying to find the remains of Will and Barb after their bizarre disappearances. However, some have come to the conclusion that there is a monstrous creature on the loose, and it's still out there. Joyce continuously gets calls, unknown calls, from who she claims to be Will, as well as her saying she's communicating with him via the lights in her house. The three boys decide to use Eleven to find Will and bring him back. Although, at first, they didn't believe her until she communicated with him on the walkie-talkie. Eleven tells them she can't see that she can't seem to find or contact Will or Barb, but that she could be able to with a bathtub. That's her term for the sensory deprivation chamber used in the Hawkins Laboratory. The whole gang gets together to build a makeshift chamber in the Hawkins Middle School gym. That means a kiddie pool, lots of water, and 1,500 pounds of salt. Sure enough, the chamber works and Eleven is able to get in onto the other side using her telepathic abilities. However, Barb was found too late to be rescued. Eleven does find Will, huddled inside the upside down version of Castle Byers, his hideout in the woods. Now that they know Will is alive and the gate to the upside down is a gross wall inside the Hawkins laboratory, Joyce and Hopper head there, head there to break in. But after a lot of searching, they found him. They found Will. Hopper pulls out a gross tentacle breathing thing out of the kid's mouth and begins CPR. Fortunately, Will takes a huge gasp of air after being resuscitated and crawls over to hug his mum, who had helplessly sat and watched the whole traumatic experience. However, the climax reaches its highest point when the monster, known as the Demogorgon, is the centre of attention towards the last episode. The whole gang tries tirelessly to defeat it until they come to the conclusion that the only person capable of destroying it is Eleven. She uses her powers to slam it up against the wall and trap it. Then, there's only one outcome, and it slowly dawns on the boys. Eleven is going to have to use all her powers to kill the monster, but it will likely kill her in the process. Goodbye, Mike, she says, as she uses her mind to destroy the monster and herself. This outcome resulted in many tears. Perhaps the last words Eleven said to Mike just really showed how much she cared for him as well as how strong their bond was. After everything, Hawkins is at peace. With Will in the hospital recovering, all citizens safe from demogorgons. However, Eleven is still out of sight, leaving Mike in a grieving state which he has to live with for the rest of his life. Flash forward to one month later, everyone seems happy. The boys are back to playing Dungeons and Dragons, also known as D&D. Nancy and Stephen are dating, but she seems to have a thing for Jonathan. And Will is at home having Christmas dinner with his whole family. This wraps it up for Stranger Things narrative structure. However, in the next episode, we will be discussing the context. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of this Stranger Things podcast. 
I'm your host Shayla Norton and today we'll be talking about the context of Stranger Things and how it all began down in Hawkins. Now in the previous episodes I have spoken only a fair bit of information regarding in Hawkins and how everything began, so this episode may be a less lengthy than the other two that I've made. To start off, Stranger Things is set in the fictional rural town of Hawkins, Indiana, during the early 1980s. Hawkins was described as a peaceful town where nothing ever happens, stated Chief Jim Hopper, who was a former police officer for the majority of his life. This creates a concept to the audience's mind that Hawkins is an unproblematic town with little to no danger. So for someone to make a complaint to the Hawkins Police Department claiming that their son has disappeared with no warning is very unlikely. It has had many it has many nice comfy houses, schools, shopping centers and an overall safe and healthy environment. The community was very friendly and comfortable with each other, as seen with the group of friends in which they call themselves the party, including Dustin Henderson, Mike Wheeler, Lucas Sinclair and Will Byers. They, they had all had uh, been exceedingly close friends for many years and still are even today. The upbringing of the Demogorgon slash origins are unknown, although its history began when Eleven made contact with the Demogorgon in a vault during an experiment down at the Hawkins laboratory. This encounter opened a gate between the two dimensions, allowing the Demogorgon and the other creatures to cross to the human world. This experiment led to Will's abduction, Barb's death, and the lab's increased suspicion towards this unfamiliar subject. From here on, the story extends and becomes more successful and intriguing as each season progresses. That's all for this episode. Stay tuned for future upcoming podcasts that will be released shortly. Welcome to the fourth episode of this series. I'm your host, Shayla Norton, and for today's episode, we will be diving down into the themes and ideas within Stranger Things Season 1. Now, Season 1's themes are mainly about the formation of future friendships. Extending that statement, there's the party becoming close friends with Eleven. Joyce and Hopper sparked a minuscule friendship that increases each season, and Jonathan and Nancy forming an alliance that suspects a tint of romance. One of Eleven's most memorable lines, friends don't lie, symbolises her slowly gaining trust from Mike as he teaches her the importance of friendship, in which trust is the most significant. She learns from that and sees those few words as a big deal within their friendship. Eleven learned the concept of friendship, trust and reliance from the friends that she makes in the first season and continues to make as the show goes on. It's from Eleven that sometimes the rest of the boys need to be reminded to rely on their friends for support. Now, personally, I see trauma as a major theme in the series, as so much of it is portrayed. Eleven, ever since she was introduced to the show, it showed immense fear, discomfort, loneliness and anxiety, all as a result from the traumatic childhood Dr. Brenner had given her. 
Now that one scene in season one, Mike insists Eleven goes into his wardrobe just for a few minutes while Mike goes out to distract his parents. She has instant flashbacks of what they had put her through down at the Hawkins laboratory and immediately reacts by breaking down and crying. When Mike returns, he witnesses her breakdown and comforts her, leaving him feeling guilty and yet confused. Lastly, there is also a key theme of sacrifice. At the end of the season, Eleven sacrifices herself to kill the monster, and the moment she says goodbye to Mike is devastating, yet makes the storyline so interesting. As well as Joyce's dedication to retrieve her son back, that woman went through everything, just including entering an unknown dimension with zero knowledge just to save her boy. It's a testament to the Duffer Brothers' excellent, unpredictable storytelling and heart de- heartfelt direction. The ending, while not perfect for our heroes, is satisfying and well portrayed. Welcome everyone to the last episode of this Stranger Things series. I'm your host Shayla Norton and for our lucky last podcast we will be unfolding the author's views and interpretations within Stranger Things season 1. How do the directors, the Duffer Brothers, use film techniques to create suspense throughout episode 1? Well, set in the fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana, the Duffer Brothers use film techniques and supernatural themes surrounding the disappearance of Will Byers to create a sense of panic, fear, and fashion fascination throughout Stranger Things. One interpretation the Duffer Brothers made is that initially, when Eleven meets Benny, they form a friendly alliance in which the directors mislead the audience. The camera shows Benny and Eleven's peaceful beginning as well as Eleven's first smile. This allows the audience to be at ease. However, soon after, Eleven's face shows panic as someone knocks at the door. Benny answers to a woman who claims to be social services. Panic and confusion passes over the audience when a long shot of Benny getting killed with a gun by the social service lady is depicted. This scene outlines who the antagonist is as well as who the protagonists, which is very helpful to note throughout the film. Now, Stranger Things is also heavily influenced by pop culture, particularly in movies and televisions from the 1980s. The Duffer Brothers wanted the show to evoke a vibe of classic films they enjoyed as children, which were linked by quite ordinary people encountering very remarkable things, as they put it. As a result, hairstyles, their surroundings, language use, and the clothing they wore are all influenced by the same genre. Stranger Things encourages us to think about the power of creativity throughout the series. We can use creative imagination to look at challenges from different angles. Imagination is present throughout our lives, influencing everything we do and allowing us to create. I would phrase this as the moral of the story throughout the entire series and future seasons to come. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Have a good night.